Hello, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening we have a very, very informative lecture for you where we're going to be talking about services and benefits for people who have low vision. And our guests this evening, we have first Mr. Joseph Burton, who's a licensed social worker here in Los Angeles. He's a graduate of UCLA. And Joseph, do you mind telling us, are you working at the current time doing social work? Yeah, Dr. Bill. So I'm actually also the founder and board president of a nonprofit called Heart for Sight Foundation. Um, and since graduating, that has been my full-time um, job. Um, I recently was working with an organization here in Los Angeles downtown called Special Services for Groups, where I served on uh, with the team members um, on the development team, um, writing grants, and um, securing funding for the various divisions that um, were under our um, our program at SSG. And then I also um, have experience with working with um, men experiencing homelessness here in Los Angeles um, as a case oh. manager. Wow, you're a busy man, aren't you, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yes, and our other guest is from the California Department of Rehabilitation. And his name is Mr. Moses Babafemi. Welcome to the show, Moses. Thank you so much, Dr. Bill. I'm glad to be here this evening. Oh, I'm very glad. And, you know, Moses, you have helped so many people who have low vision that because of you, these are folks who are working, making a living, and they're actually enjoying life. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. It's a great opportunity to serve our, uh, to serve people in our community. Yes, it definitely is. And for you know, many of you, maybe this is the first time that you've been on our program, but we've had many, many different topics. And the purpose of this program is to primarily provide you with information that could help you to overcome low vision or even total blindness. There are many things that are very, very beneficial. And for myself, many of you may know that I was once a low vision eye doctor where I would design special glasses and visual aids for people with low vision but ironically, I lost my vision, and then months later, I lost all of my vision. And so at the present time, I am totally blind, and I realize that it is so important to know where to call if you suffer from vision problems. And these two gentlemen are people that I have known for quite a while, and they do an excellent job in terms of helping people who have low vision. Now, the first type of client 
that we tend to talk about are the children. There are many children who are born with vision impairment, or they may develop vision impairment within the first few months of life. And for these children, they are actually very, very fortunate because the public school system has programs that are very, very helpful. And so these children will often attend school and they'll be in a classroom for students with vision impairment. And their teacher will have a special credential in terms of teaching those students with low vision. And Joseph, if I'm not mistaken, may I ask, are you familiar with this particular program that the schools have? I'm not particularly um, aware of them, Dr. Bill, um, but I am more aware of the um, programs and services that are available in the colleges and community colleges, just being a recent graduate myself. So I can definitely speak more to, to that, but not so much regarding the, the services particular to youth. Okay. You know, my specialty was where I would specialize in helping children with low vision. So I was very often called to the meetings that they had at the schools, and we would actually develop a plan for the child. The first thing that we would do, though, is that we would bring them into our clinic, and we would do a complete evaluation of their eyes. And the purpose of that is to determine, is there any type of medical condition that may be treated with medications or with surgery or with specialized types of glasses to help. And then as these kids became older, the classroom teacher would do just a tremendous job with these kids. First of all, the classroom teacher would have many aids and so that these infants, they would receive a lot of attention and the different types of things that they would learn. They would learn how to identify colors. They would learn how to identify shapes. And they would do these tasks while they're using these special types of visual devices. We would also see how these kids would be introduced to Braille where they would learn the Braille alphabet and they would be able to identify the letters by using their fingers. And as they get older, they would then be able to identify words and learn to write and type using a Braille typewriter. Inside their classes, there was also modern technology where they had computers that would talk to them and computers that would magnify the letters on the screen very large. They had other devices called video magnifiers. Many of you may have seen these, but this is where there is a computer screen, and they could put their book or their papers underneath that screen, and there's a camera underneath there that focuses on the paper, and it will then display it on the screen in a magnified view, and the kids could also change the colors of the background and text because many children with low vision, 
they may be colorblind to certain colors and they're able to see other colors much easier. And these kids also receive what's called mobility training where they learn how to walk using a cane and they learn how to perform sighted guide and hold on to their mother or their father's arm as they're traveling through a crowded area. These kids would also have specialized physical education and also support groups and individual counseling. So all in all, the children who have low vision at a young age, they receive a very, very specialized education. And by the time that they are in 12th grade, they are in fact ready and prepared to apply to different universities and pursue their dream vocation. And we have had so many of our patients who have low vision who have gone on to law school and have become very, very successful lawyers. Others have become very successful businessmen. Others have become exceptional, exceptional teachers. So they can live productive lives. And if any of you are parents on the call tonight and you have children, that's the one thing I really want you to remember from tonight's call is children with low vision live very productive lives. They can earn a tremendous living. They can be married and have their own families and everything that you thought that they may not be able to do they can do it. And it's up to us, the parents and the support staff around these kids, to keep informing them that they can do anything it is that they want to. And they could also participate in a lot of fun types of activities. Now, one of the things that our next guest has done, Joseph Burton, he has started an organization that's called Hearts for Sight. And Joseph, in a nutshell, can you tell us how did you come up with that idea and why did you feel there was a need to come up with that idea? Absolutely. Well, in, in, a, in a minute's time, I can do that. Um, I also have low vision. I have retinitis pigmentosa. Many years ago, I visited Dr. Bill over at the Center for the Partially Sighted, and that's where he helped me to better know more about some resources and services that I, as a low version person, could take advantage of. I'm originally from San Diego, and I was introduced to the Braille Institute down in La Jolla, and that's where I decided to go first to learn more about resources and opportunities are available to folks with visual impairments. And so upon going to the Braille Institute for several months, I learned a great deal about different uh, resources. I learned about the Department of Rehab. I learned about how to receive support because I wanted to go back to school. Um, I wanted to get that dream occupation. So um, I went to the Brown Institute first, Dr. Bill. As I was there for several, several months, I realized that there are additional challenges and barriers that people with vision loss 
are facing that organizations are not really focusing on. And specifically, that is the health and well-being of folks in our community. And so when it comes to learning about um, you know, adequate nutrition and, and appropriate diets, having access to physical activities um, and counseling services that are accessible. I found that these were fundamental challenges that were being faced in our community. And that's where sort of Hearts for Sight sort of manifested. Hearts for Sight is an organization that is addressing barriers to um, physical, mental, and emotional well-being for members of the visually impaired community. You know, that really worked out perfectly, the way that you came up exactly with the things that are needed. And right now, Hearts for Sight is really growing leaps and bounds, isn't it? It is. We're, you know, in in the face of a global pandemic, we are really proud to be able to continue to offer much valuable service to the members of our community, specifically here in Los Angeles. But certainly, you know, we are still in our infancy stages and we have much more room to grow. So what are some of the activities, the fun recreational activities that uh, you folks have done? Because I know you've had quite a few of them. We've had quite a few of them and we're (laughs) honored to always have the presence of Dr. Bill at any of our events. So always a pleasure to see you, Dr. Bill. But yeah, what I call our eco-therapeutic activities. These are activities that involve being outdoors, participating in physical activity, getting uh, some exercise, but also being in community with other people, um, socializing, laughing, networking, just learning more about others. Um, And so we offer opportunities such as our nature hikes. We do a hiking activity every month with a partnership with the uh, local Sierra Club as well as another organization called Inspiring Connections Outdoors. And so what happens is uh, we have sighted volunteers, scout trails, and um, natural preserves for us to make sure that they're safe and conducive for our group to go out and travel safely. And then when folks are interested, they reach out to, to my staff. They'll let us know if they need a sighted assistant. We'll provide a sighted guide for them, and we'll all just take our respective transportations, whether that's access or taxis, or oftentimes we charter a bus at local area and just bring everybody to, to the trailhead and, you know, just try to have a good time out in there in nature. So that's one, that's uh, one service we, we do provide. Yeah. I'm pretty happy about. That is great. And I haven't heard of anybody getting lost on the hike. No, no, we, we do a great job, Dr. <laughs> Bill. We do a great job of always having, you know, someone at the trailhead uh, leading the crew. And then we always have a sweeper and then volunteers, everybody as, as, as best as we can. So we have those. We also provide bike rides with a partnership here in Los Angeles with the organization called Wheel Fun Rentals. Um, recently just had an event last weekend, um, which was very successful. There was about 20 plus visually impaired people um, having an opportunity to ride bicycles. We also uh, provide our yoga um, services. So we have a volunteer who's, you know, who gives her time graciously to us to bring yoga to our community. Um, And we do many other things. We have social outings. For example, we're going to the Dodger game in October against the Brewers. All right. (laughs) We go fishing. But ultimately, we're just trying to create services and programs that really address all facets of health, which is, you know, physical, mental, and emotional well-being. 
Hey, well, Joseph, I also want you to tell the the people in the audience there about the fundraiser you had. And I went there at lunchtime on Saturday. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I had what Raquel, uh, the co-founder of Hearts of Sight, she recommended the fried chicken tacos. <laughs> and oh, they were so good. They were delicious. Uh, Dr. Bill, I had about two of those tacos, I will say. They are quite delicious. But yeah, that was just a partnership. You know, Heart for Sight is a grassroots organization, and we're trying to, you know, forge relationships with members of our community who, you know, appreciate or share our mission to make access and services more accessible. And so we partnered with this organization or restaurant called um, Diablo's Taco. And they were so generous, Dr. Bill, they gave us 15% um, of the proceeds that were generated for that particular day to support our programs and services. So we're really blessed to have um, that partnership with Diablo Taco, and we're looking forward to continuing to, you know, to enjoy their, to enjoy their delicious food and and hopefully uh, provide more fundraisers in the future. Yeah. If ever you uh, folks are in the area of, uh, Sort of, sort of Hollywood, I guess. It's just right up the street from the Braille Institute on uh, Vermont and Sunset Boulevard. I forgot the address. Diablo's Tacos. Oh, it's really, really great food. <laughs> well, you know, Joseph, you had mentioned, though, that you also had some experience in terms of receiving some services as a, as a college student. Yeah. Uh, how did how did you get connected well, when you were in college? Was that where you went to a disabilities office at UCLA uh, or And this is good because you mentioned you know, you're speaking with folks in the crowd who might have children who are visually impaired. And I can't stress the importance of having your IEPs, your individual personal education plans, uh, because having that documentation of the challenges and services and supports that a student needs in order for them to be successful in college is crucial, crucial, crucial. And so I was able actually, Dr. Bill, in community college to um, update my IEP because I, I went to school not having any accommodations for being visually impaired. And I will say, the first, my first attempt at community college was very unsuccessful because I didn't have the skill. I wasn't empowered to advocate for myself. And I, and I really didn't know what to ask. And so, you know, when I connected with you in the center for the partially sighted, um, and also connected with the Braille Institute in, in San Diego, that's where I was introduced to, uh, to, to the department of rehabilitation And I will say, folks, without the Department of Rehabilitation, I don't know how I would have graduated from UCLA with a master's. Um, They have been such a great, great support in fostering my education um, and my professional development. So it it really stemmed from Dr. Bill learning about some of the needs and supports that I know would help me be successful, whether that is assistive technology, having extra time um, to take tests and do homework having a note taker or having materials presented to me in alternate formats. Like these are areas, um, services that I did not know were available to students with disabilities. And so 
once I learned that I can advocate for myself to receive those services, I found a tremendous amount of success in community college. I then went to Dominguez Hills um, for my undergrad, where I got a degree in clinical psychology. And then shortly after that, I uh, transferred over to UCLA, where I just completed the MSW program and got a, a certificate in uh, resource management as well. And so, but it all stemmed from knowing what services are available, going to the Disability Resource Center and letting them know, hey, I need X, Y, and Z in order for me to be successful. I need, to, I need X, Y, and Z from my, professor, my professors and faculty members. And just putting this individual plan together really just fostered my level of education and success. Mm-hmm. So it's very important with that IEP that you list everything that you're having troubles with. It's not a time to be shy and bashful, but if there's something that you are having troubles with or you need some equipment or anything, we need to have you listed on the IEP. Mm -hmm. Well, Moses, are you there, Moses? Oh, yes, I'm with you here, yeah. Thank you. Now, the first thing I'd like for you to do is would you explain to the audience what is the Department of Rehabilitation? Because some of them may have never heard of this before. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Department of Rehabilitation is a department that was set up about 72 years ago uh, to provide services for people with disability. Our program actually started way back more than 100 years ago uh, to serve people who returned from the war uh, in the World War I. Two years after it started, they extended the program to everyone in the community. So about 72 years ago, they finally established a department specifically to help the general public who have disability. Uh, So that is where the Department of Rehabilitation comes from. It's a nationwide program, but uh, each state has a way of administering it. So in California here, we have two sections, though under the Department of Rehab. One section takes care of people with different kinds of disability, and the other section takes care of people with low vision and visually impaired. Uh, We call it BFS, Blind Field Services. So what we do basically in nutshell is to help people with low vision and visually impairment to obtain an employment. I say obtain an employment, it takes different, uh, people take different routes to get to this one, to get employed. Some people, they are ready to get an employment right away uh, with just minimum support. And some people need training uh, maybe vocational training, assistive technology training, or high school or college training. And so we support them with services that will help them to be able to do this successfully. Uh, our program actually started from high school. 
Uh, I want to go back to where Dr. Bill, what Dr. Bill mentioned at the beginning of this discussion. We support people in high school as well as adults. Um, the reason why we now focus more on people in high school is because we want them to know the services that are available for them when they leave high school. So the parents invite us to come to the IEP meeting. I mean, yeah, to come to the IEP meeting, we explain what we do. If they need services that can that the school is not able to provide, uh, the Department of Rehabilitation will support them with these services. Uh, the goal of this is to make sure that before these kids leave high school, they know that, I mean, they will know that there are services that are available for them uh, when they finally become independent. So when people um, become adults, we are there with them all the way through uh, for different services that they might need to be employed, independent, and have equal opportunity like everyone in the society. Uh, so the services will provide, I said our services for people to get employed. Uh, the services we provide could include uh, support with employment services. Maybe someone need help with resume, preparing for job interview, uh, get a job lead obtain a fund for clothing, for transportation, for placement equipment, we can do that on the side of employment services. Uh, for people that are in training, uh, I will mention people that, are, that want to receive assistive technology training first. We equip them with necessary technology they need to be able to function well in the society. Uh, this could be getting computer, getting a talking software, or whatever will help them to be able to do things like everyone in the society. We can support them with orientation and mobility, with independent living skill. Um, so many services we do provide for people in training. We can also support them with balance of tuition, not covered by the financial, I mean, with the financial aid, uh, the textbook, course materials, uh, reader services when they are in school. So one thing I want us to take note, I mean, to note is that our service is individualized. So based on individual need, uh, we, did, we plan our service and make sure that we provide those services that will help them to complete their training and be employable. So in a nutshell, those are the things that we do. That is so amazing. I mean, that really covers almost anything that a person with low vision might need. They Absolutely. Can, they can talk to you about that. Now, Moses, I have a question. If it is such that 
a person in high school mm-hmm. may qualify to be a client of DOR. Is there mm-hmm. an age requirement that a, a person must be to call your office and to sign up? Yes. Uh, in California here, we normally sign up our people are sign up for our services starting from age 14. Though they may not receive employment services at that age, but from 16, age 16, we can provide work experience services for them. Uh, this work experience is just to give them knowledge of how being employed look like. This could be a volunteer job or placement in a real work environment. But either volunteer or work in a real work environment, we still pay them for these services. Even if the employer is not willing to pay them, we pay them per hour for the service they provide while they are in high school. And you want to ask me why age 14? is because we based it on the Workforce and Innovative Opportunity Act of 2014. Uh, this actually defines students with disability as students within that age range. So that is why we covered, uh, we provide services for people starting from age 14. That is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, does a person have to be a United States citizen to be able to receive services from DOR? That is not a requirement to receive services from our department, though we often encourage it. People have work permit because for People to be able to work legally in the United States, you have to have an, uh, some kind of documentation. But to receive services in general from the department, uh, you don't have to be a citizen of the United States. Uh, for example, if someone is in training and is not a citizen of the United States, we'll be happy to support them. If they want to receive independent living skill training, we will support them regardless of their legal status. Boy, that's beautiful. That is mm-hmm. very, very nice. And the Department of Rehabilitation, you will often refer these clients to a low vision doctor and the low vision doctor may recommend different low vision aids or computers and cell phones. Mm-hmm. Does the Department of Rehabilitation still pay for some of these devices? Yes, we do pay for it. Uh, let me mention, I mean, I mentioned earlier that our service is individualized and it is based on individuals' need. So to be able to know what we meet each person's need, we do send people for low vision assessment. Uh, 
professionals like Dr. Bill, they will be able to recommend things that will help that person. Even if that person doesn't know what they need, when we refer them to a low vision evaluation, uh, the specialist will recommend that, okay, this is what this person needs to achieve the training or employment goal. So when we receive the recommendation based on that and the need of that person, we will provide, we will fund that service or the equipment so that the person can have it and be able to achieve the employment goal. Oh, wonderful. Now, Moses, you know, here in Southern California, we do have many people who speak different languages. Does the Department of Rehabilitation have counselors who speak other languages other than English? Yes, we have a lot of counselors. Our, our organization is uh, pretty deep. We are diverse. diverse. Um, even people in my team, we all speak. We have about 10 people in my unit. Um, we speak about maybe 20 languages. So oh, we, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, think of the whole organization as a whole uh, in California. We have a lot of counselors that speak different languages. And if they, that language is not available, if that person's language is not available, we have services that will connect them to someone who can translate the language into whatever the counselor, I mean, to that whatever that person can hear, I mean, can understand so that we can provide that will meet that person's needs. And uh, before we go to questions, uh, we're mm -hmm. going to open it up to questions in a moment, but uh, Moses, can you tell our audience, what is the telephone number that they should call if they want to see if they could become a client of Department of Rehab. Is there a phone number for them to call? Yeah, I will give them my phone number. Uh, the, it is 626-304-8341. If they call the number I can always, if they are not within my area, I can always give them information of the person to contact in their local area. Okay, Moses, can you say your phone number again? One of the numbers broke up again. So it's 626 304 8304. Yes. Eight three four one. Eight three four one. Correct. And uh, Joseph Burton, do you have a contact information for our audience if they want to come and have some fun with Hearts for Sight? Absolutely. Um, so the uh, the email is probably the most effective way to communicate with us. 
um, my business partner, Raquel Cepeda and myself have access to the, um, to the email. And that is um, hearts number four site at gmail.com. Again, that is hearts, H-E-A-R-T-S number four at um, or to me, hearts for site s i g h t at gmail.com. And I'm going to type it here in the um, chat box as well, Dr. Bill, along with Moses's number. So people have that okay. as well. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Can we open it up to questions from the audience? Dr. Bill, this question is, is for you. Everyone understands that the IEP is the driving document for students that receive services through the uh, special ed programs of the public school system in pretty much all the states. Uh, in this case, you talked about California. So in these days of uh, uh, troublesome budgets uh, within California of late, have you detected any reduction in services for uh, students with low vision and, and uh, blindness? You know what? I can't answer that. My own personal experience mm -hmm. with my patients with low vision, I have not observed a drop-off in services, and I also have not heard where the counselors say, oh, we could only buy one magnifier for the student. Okay. Every Everything that I have recommended for them, they have been very, very cooperative. And Moses? Yes, actually, the federal government, because we get some of our funding uh, from federal government and some from the state government, the federal government wants us to send, spend 15% of an, our entire budget on student uh, services, students in high school. Most of the time, we, uh, we don't even, we can't spend all this 15%. So there is always a lot of fund to support our student. Uh, if there is any reason why there will be budget cuts, in most cases, in most cases, it doesn't affect people with low vision and uh, blindness. That is where we are so lucky. It could affect people with other disability, but people with low vision in most cases, it doesn't affect us. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I understand both of your answers and I'm wondering if, all right, thank you. I think, I think Tom is, is speaking in, in general terms, but mm -hmm. Tom, if, if I may, um, you know, I recently uh, during the pandemic did a, yeah. um, an analysis and where I spoke with different special ed instructors mm -hmm. and speaking to them about some of the challenges that they have been experiencing with providing service um, mm -hmm. to some of their students with disabilities, particularly as they are working with them remotely. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, as you know, the resources that are granted to special ed um, programs at the schools um, are, are, there's quite an abundance of, of resources. Yet yeah. mm -hmm. when, you, when you have a, a student who might be on the spectrum or might have some sort of visual challenges, there's a number of uh, professional staff um, who are actually at the school to provide such services. But in the face of a pandemic, you have parents who are now 
um, also becoming teachers who don't have the tools or resources or the know-how to effectively provide services for their youth. So in these past, what now is a year and a half, um, just based on the conversations that I've had with some of the instructors or the teachers, they have shared with me that they, um, they, are, they have been experiencing some financial um, challenges with making sure that students at home are able to get the resources that they need to be successful. Um, but that's due to circumstances of, of a global pandemic. Um, yeah. What that's going to look like um, as, as students are now going back to school in person. I understand, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, I guess I just wanted to ask, what is the current status across the US for homeschooled children? I want to get you right. You wanted to know if there are services for homeschool students? In terms of accessibility to... Um, yes. Yes, there are services for students regardless yeah. of the kind of training they are receiving. Uh, like I said, our services is individualized. We look at each person's environments, their needs and their goals. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you have any question or any concern at all, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be happy to support that person regardless of the kind of training they are receiving or their condition. Okay. Hi, this uh, question is for Joseph Burton. My husband has retinitis pigmentosa like you, and we're very interested in being physically fit. And so we're really interested in your program. However, we are in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Do you have any plans to expand and start other groups across the country? Yeah. So, I mean, as a, we live in Los Angeles, that's where I, I live. That's where I went to school. And so inherently that's where the first um, heart for sight is being like sort of built right now. Uh, but the goal for, for heart for sight, Carla, is to expand, to create a model that is uh, sustainable and that can be duplicated and placed in other locales. Um, but certainly that might, that might take some time, right? But in the interim, uh, we are looking to offer more virtual fitness services, um, whether that is group exercise. Um, our yoga services are currently virtual right now. Um, so we're working actually to provide some more classes. Um, but there are also other organizations, for example, the National Federation of the Blind. Um, they provide a... Um, like a fitness wellness uh, group that is attended by people with visual impairments all across the nation. Um, so they do like weekend activities, um, you know, activities during the week. Um, and these are all held virtually, which would be accommodating for folks from all over the country. So um, if interested, I can drop in the comments um, a little link for them. Or if you would like to reach out to me personally, my contact is also in the in the chat, um, and I'd be happy to connect you with the NFB and other organizations nationally um, who are providing sort of fitness services as well. What we're seeing is that what you're providing, you know, actually getting people outside and fishing and hiking and things like that are really lacking. Yeah, I, I agree with you. 
I totally, totally agree with you. And if we can develop a program and a model that can be shared among, you know, other communities so that they can build a similar Hartford site, I mean, that's what we want. We want to be able to go out and fish and ride bikes and do yoga in the park and go hiking at our local natural preserves. I mean, that's what the sighted community has access to. And it should be our rights uh, to have that equal access as well. And so that's what Hearts for Sites here trying to do in Los Angeles. But we're hoping that we can connect with other organizations who have similar goals. Great. Well, we'll connect with you. We'd really like to work on getting something like that started here. So when you reach that Absolutely. point, we would be very interested. Absolutely, Carla. 100%. Definitely. And Car- Carla, did you say you're in Oklahoma? We are. We're in Collinsville, Oklahoma. Okay, Joseph, got to keep that in mind and uh, we got to get something going. Absolutely. Thank you, Carla. Is there any sort of database that students with visual impairment could go to and see how a prospective college ranks in their service in the accessibility department? I would say that would be a... Nobel Prize winning kind of service because I don't, I've never had an opportunity to rate institutions based on their level of accessibility. I will say, uh, you know, UCLA, for example, is one of the best public institutions in our nation, but their accessibility um, department is is lacking. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we're always, you know, people with disabilities, we're always like, getting the reactions of these institutions um, in regards to providing adequate service for us. And so for someone like myself who might need, you know, uh, articles to be in a format that is accessible, you know, I I have to let my instructors know, okay, can you send me your syllabi? These are the articles that you want me to read. I need these articles to me in advance so I don't fall behind um, in classes. But you know, it's there's so many different working parts. The teacher has to provide the articles. The disability center has to create the uh, article to be more accessible. Then the student has to read it, get any receive receive any help that they might need, um, and then you know take a test or a quiz or whatever that might be. But there's it seems like there's not enough time to get the resources that you need or accessibility features that you need. Uh, because schools quickly, you know, and, and it's hard when you're in the, in, in the college to tell everyone else to wait for you while you're a student with disabilities trying to get the accommodations that you need, the classes moving forward. That's exactly what I saw in the universities yeah. that I worked at. Yes. I'm very yeah. concerned about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it, Thank it's you. An issue that it's good still to needs hear it from your work. perspective. Yeah. 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 Wes has his hand up, Tom, then we'll come back to you. Okay. Yes, I live in Portland, Oregon, and Hearts for Sight Foundation, does it provide services to, to people out of its locality, or is that strictly for people local to where Hearts for Sight is? It, it really depends. So our virtual services, um, yeah, virtual services. You know, like our yoga. yoga, we have yoga and chair yoga that we do that are open to anybody. Of course, when we start rolling out the fitness, the virtual fitness classes that are going to be open to, to everybody. Uh, but of course, you know, like our hikes, they're, they're here locally. 
um, and, and, and some of our mental health services that we provide. For example, we offer therapeutic support groups and individual counseling, uh, but restricted to providing those in California due to the licensing regulations. Oh, okay, um, so you do have some virtual services. That we can do be have some virtual services that are accessible, held via Zoom, like how we're having these meetings now. Um, but like I said earlier to, to Carla, you know, we're planning on opening up some more accessible um, fitness, fitness opportunities that will be available to anybody who, who has access to a computer in the United States. Thank you. Yeah, thank All you right. for your question. All right, Tom. Uh, uh, back to you, I guess this is more in your, your camp, Moses. Um, you talked about the IPE individual plan for employment. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the colleges and universities and that type of an ex, uh, education. Being that uh, your DOR group is pretty much focused on, on finding a job and, and providing for yourself, do you do any kind of work through your department with the myriad of trade schools that are available out there these days? Yeah, we do provide employment services for our consumers. But here's one thing, we always want to empower our consumer. We want them to decide. We equip them to be able to do this, whatever they will need to achieve this goal. We want to empower them because we believe that when you get this thing yourself, you are more likely to be proud of yourself, of your achievement. When you get this job, you are more likely going to say, hey, I better hold on to this job than a job that somebody gives to you. So what we do is that we level the playing ground for that person, for individual to be able to compete for employment like everyone in the society. So whatever they need to be able to compete for job, like everyone in the society, we provide our services. Um, whatever it could be, but this is individualized. So to answer your question, yes, we do have placement services, but at the same time, we always want our consumer to take a lead rather than just say, okay, Mr. Hey, here is a job, come on start working here. Because when he's tired, he's just going to say, no, I don't want to do that job. But if he takes a lead uh, as we support, he's more likely going to say, yes, I love this job because I got it myself. Yep. I Thank hope you. I answered your question. You did. You did in a way. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. You're welcome. Let's take one last question. Yes. Thank you all very much to Bill, Joseph, Thank you, Dr. Bill, Joseph, Moses. This question is for Moses. I was able to take advantage of the DOR services actually in three states. In Texas is where I received my training for employment. Mm -hmm. And the most difficult part about that was transportation. Mm -hmm. that local services that were not very reliable. And even while going through training in the school, we call up the local paratransit and you know we we try and get a get a get a ride home and a ride to there. So mm -hmm. I was wondering 
if the Department of Re uh, Rehabilitation offered any other kind of um, transportation to and from employment, because that seemed like that was my biggest hurdle at the time. Mm. Uh, yes, thank you for that question. We do support our clients uh, regardless of where they are located. Uh, I understand that each city is different. The paratransit services is also different. Um, but wherever they are, number one, we want them to be able to travel independently. So apart from the paratransit uh, support with payment for uh, transportation, we also provide orientation and mobility services for them. So that if possible, they can ride train, ride on buses, travel on foot if, uh, if they are able to do it. Uh, so we provide orientation and mobility services. And during first month of employment, we provide transportation fund for them. So you just need to let the counselor know that, okay, I will be taking Uber or I will be taking paratransit. The counselor will be able to support that person during the first month of employment. Because we expect that after that first month, that person must have received salary and be able to continue with uh, the funding for services. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you both. Moses Dr. Bale. and Joseph, I want to thank you both for all of this time and information that you've shared. And I think that we're going to have to have you both back to mm -hmm. answer more in-depth questions. Also, we'd like to thank uh, you, Robert, for recording this. And this will be up on the website probably within the next week. So on behalf of CCLVI and Airs LA, we thank you very much for your attendance, and we hope that you have a great weekend. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Good night. Dr. Bell.